0: Briefly, hello, I'm back. Briefly at this point in the service, um, I'm going to ask Meg uh,
1: Parnell if you come and uh, just tell us about uh, an exhibition and the Spring Fair, I think.
2: Thanks, Paul. Um, So my name's Meg. I don't usually come to this service, so I might not know many of you. Um, Platt is really brilliant at music, and it's great to sing. I've just loved singing that song. Um, But Rachel James and I were... Um, talking about how there's lots of people in the congregation who um, express themselves in different ways through uh, photography through drawing through painting through making things Um, and we thought it might be an interesting invitation to ask you as congregation would you like to create something that we could display as part of an exhibition for the spring fair which is on the 11th of may So that's why we're sort of talking about it now, so we can plant a little seed with you to see if you'd like to um, kind of respond to this idea. Um, So uh, we would like to put some artwork in the church from made by people in the congregation. um, And we wondered if you might be interested in responding to the theme of hope. So we're going to give you a kind of theme which is hope, which is obviously really important to us as Christians. Um, If you feel moved to make something, or maybe you've already made something on that theme that you would like to put in this exhibition, um, then please um, talk to myself, Meg Parnell, or Rachel James, um, and we will um, find a way to put it on display for the 11th of May. So the deadline for entries to the exhibition is the 5th of May. Um, and you can submit anything, really, as I say, a, f- a photograph, a drawing, a painting, a piece of craft, um, a, p- a sculpture. Um, if you have got an idea that's really big, maybe talk to us first. <laughs> um, but if you uh, would like to make something 2D, then a painting, a drawing, a photograph, it can be no bigger than A3 size. So that's um, two sizes of A4 uh, put together. Um, so, uh, but anything other than that, then come and talk to us and we'll try and uh, display it. And hopefully it'll be a really interesting, uh, different responses to that theme in a visual way. So any questions, just ask myself or Rachel James. Brilliant.
1: Okay. Thanks, thanks, so much. And you can uh, yeah, follow up and uh, if you're the creative types in our congregation, of which we have many. Um, Izzy is going to come and bring our first Bible reading of two. So why don't you grab your Bibles uh, and she'll explain where it's coming
2: from.
0: morning. The first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 1 to 10, and can be found on page 785 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. So that's page 785. After Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the skilled workers, and the craftsmen of Judah, were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very bad figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the bad ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. But like the bad figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord. So will I deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent and offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, a curse and an object of ridicule, wherever I banish them. I will send the sword famine and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Izzy, thanks very much. We are going to hear some more from Jeremiah in uh, just a few moments, but between those two readings, we're going to stand and sing praise uh, to the God of grace Uh, the God we need to rescue us.
0: Please take a seat. The second reading is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1 to 23, and can be found on page 789 in the Bread Bibles. Page numbers for the other versions are on the screen. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the craftsmen had gone into exile from Jerusalem He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Sephan, and to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, sorry, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers... You too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine and plague against them. I will make them like the figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Koaliah, and Zedekiah, Son of Messiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will deliver them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. May the Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and in my name they have uttered lies, which I did not authorize. I know it, and I'm a witness to it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Izzy, thank you very much. Particularly well done with those many numerous tricky names. Um, well, we're here in the book of Jeremiah, as Paul said, we're carrying on the series. And um, I don't know how you've been feeling about the book of Jeremiah. Some of it's pretty bleak, some of it's a bit complicated. You think it's a, a strange book in, in many ways. Uh, and here we are again, we have a, a vision, a strange vision that Jeremiah sees in chapter 24, and then a letter that he sends to a group of people who have sent away in exile in, in chapter 29. And it's, it's a bit odd but here we are uh, and we've been thinking about this series in two halves Uh, and you might have picked up in in chapter 24 that language of planting and uprooting and the point is um, God has to uproot he sends Jeremiah to preach a message that says God is going to uproot he's going to bring judgment he's going to overthrow and overturn many of the people for their for their sins and we've been thinking about that for a number of weeks but that's not the end of the story And it's not the end of Jeremiah's ministry. God brings discipline and judgment to his people, for sure, uh, but he has a plan for them, a future for them. There's another half. There's a planting half to Jeremiah's uh, ministry. Uh, And we're sort of moving into that that theme now, and we're thinking today about God planting his people. Uh, And so let's begin uh, with... Oh, sorry, if I can get this clicker to work begin with a question, which is how do you find, how can we find a fruitful, flourishing future? How can we find a fruitful, flourishing future? It's a very contemporary question, isn't it? There are lots of answers uh, given. Some people might want to give a sort of an environmental answer. How can we make the planet fruitful and flourishing by taking care of it? course, a lot of wisdom in that, a lot of good things about that agenda, that motivation. Other people might want to give a political answer. I'm not getting into it, but you know, both sides say, oh, we'll be much better off if we do one or the other. We'll be much more fruitful, we'll flourish one way or the other, depending on what your particular views are on that. Think about that as a sort of corporate people, a nation maybe, or as a planet. But it's a question for each of us as well, isn't it? Where am I going to find a fruitful, uh, flourishing future? Maybe you have some image in your mind of the life you want to be living in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, Somewhere in the suburbs with this lovely sort of three-bedroom semi-detached house, a couple of cars in the garage, a nicely mowed lawn, uh, a couple of children perhaps, uh, and of course a dog, because... You know, if anyone's going to be happy, they're going to have to have a dog, aren't they? I don't know what your image, your vision of the future is, a flourishing, fruitful future. But in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah speaks to God's people, one of the keys to finding a future that will ultimately be fruitful and flourishing is how you respond to God's word. See, Chapters 24 to 29 offers a series of responses to God's uh, word. People, some people um, do want to deliver that word, like Jeremiah. There are some people out there who want to tell people God's word and want them to listen to it. But there are plenty of people in these chapters who just ignore God's word, won't listen to it. Others who want to replace God's word with another word that's just a little bit more comfortable. Because God's word is Uncomfortable. But chapters 24 and 29, I hope when Izzy was reading them, you could see why we've put them together. Uh, Lots of the same images crop up in both, don't they? There's a similar story going on. Uh, Chapters 24 and 29 uh, show us which people it is that have a future, which people it is that God plants, which people it is that are going to flourish and be fruitful In the end. And actually, it must have come as a great surprise to them. And it might come as a little bit of a surprise to us in some ways. We've got two points. Here's the first one. First point a key to a flourishing future is to embrace exile as God's good plan for your life. Embrace exile as God's good plan. For your life. So if we go to chapter 24, if you've closed your Bible, it's on page 785 in the, the Red Bibles, um, chapter 24, and we begin with a bit of background with some of these unpronounceable names. After Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the skilled workers, and the craftsmen of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Lord showed me. So he gives them a bit of background. What's been going on in the life of God's people? Well, you remember this map from last week and from earlier on in the series. God's people are there where the Red Cross is in the middle. And they're stuck between two superpowers, Babylon and Egypt. And those two are fighting out to see who are going to be the big, uh, the big um, main players in the region. And in 605 BC, there's a very important battle. You can read about it in the secular histories and uh, in chapter 46 of Jeremiah, actually. Jeremiah gives God's account of the battle. It's called the Battle of Carchemish. And that's where Egypt fights Babylon in a sort of high stakes, major battle winner takes all almost. And Babylon wins. Now, that's particularly bad news for Judah at the time, because that king Jehoiakim that we read about in verse 1, he was sort of an Egyptian puppet king. He was on the Egyptian side. So when Babylon wins, that's bad news for Judah and their king, who were the lackeys of Egypt. And after that, Babylon turns its eyes to Judah, and a few years later, you'll see Several of the, the best and brightest of Jerusalem, the skilled workers, the craftsmen, they were all taken off into Babylon. The king of Babylon comes and attacks at Babylon. Jehoiakim dies. His son Jehoiachin and the best and brightest of Jerusalem are taken off. Now, many of you will remember the story, from maybe from Sunday school or something like that, of Daniel and the lion's den. Remember that story? Yeah, we all know the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of those guys who was taken off with Jehoiachin to Babylon. The best and brightest are gone, and the remain in the land are King Zedekiah, who takes over on the throne, and a few other people. So there are two groups that have formed. If you were feeling cheeky, you'd call them leavers and remainers, wouldn't you? Um, Two groups have formed within the people of God. And the people who've been taken away, well, it'd be very easy, wouldn't it, to see them as the ones who are cursed. Because the ones who are left... In the land, uh, they've still got the temple, and they've still got a king on the throne. The joy he has been taken off. He's in chains. Zedekiah is still a king. He might be weak, but he is still a king. They're still in their homes. They're still in the land. They probably thought, "Yeah, we're all right." Might want to, might want to back those people. And then here's a surprise. In verse 1 again, the Lord showed me two baskets of figs. This is a vision Jeremiah has placed in front of the temple of the Lord. Now, um, the vision resembles the festival of first fruits where people would come and bring the best of their offerings uh, to God. Uh, And we get an offering brought to the temple here, uh, and it's in two parts, reminiscent of the two groups that have formed, the ones who are still in the land, the ones who have been taken off into exile. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. Now, the early ripening figs were thought of as a delicacy at the time. They're they're very sweet, and and people loved to pick them off the, the fig trees really early. It was a great blessing to have figs ripening early. The other basket had very bad figs, so bad they could not be eaten. And if you can't eat a fig, it's tricky to think what you might do with it. It's pretty useless, isn't it? If it's not good enough to be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Jeremiah, very straightforward, figs. I see figs. I answered, the good ones are very good, but the bad ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. And so Jeremiah probably understands with the context of this huge group of people who've just gone, that these two baskets are the two groups of people. But which are which? Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like the good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah. Probably not the ones we were expecting. The ones who've been ripped out of their homes and taken away. And this just reminds us that, that God is free to choose which people it is that he is going to plant. He's, he's sovereign, he's in control. Do you remember Paul's sermon last week of the great Lord, the giver of life, the great one who, who, who has complete sovereignty over the universe? He can choose whichever group he wants, and he chooses the exiles. Now, notice a few things about God's choice here. First, it's a gracious choice. You just get that in verse 5, isn't it? I regard as good the exiles. You might have picked up in chapter 29 that, to be honest, they were no better than the people who'd stayed in the land. It wasn't a moral choice in that sense. It wasn't that they were better people. It it was just that God had chosen them. So he said, I regard them as good because he's gracious. And notice it's a choice of blessing for them. Verse 6, lovely verse, my eyes will watch over them for their good. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up, not tear them down. I will plant them, not uproot them. Echoing that key verse we saw in chapter 1. God's choice is to bless his people. He wants to do them good. And they are changed for good. In verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their hearts. God doesn't just uh, choose his people and bless them and look out for them and do them good uh, for no purpose. He wants them to grow and change uh, as well. He wants a relationship with them. He wants them to turn back to him with a new heart that he gives them himself. It's the exiles who are going to have a future, according to God. Whereas the ones who remain in verses 8 to 10, we don't have time to look at it all in detail, uh, But like those bad figs that are useless, and the only future a bad fig like that's got is to be thrown into the rubbish bin. The only future for Zedekiah and the people who've remained in the land is to be thrown away, basically. They have no future. And so, the response of God's people is to embrace the exile that God sent them into. It's not a sign that he's done with them. Actually, quite the opposite. The exile is going to change them for good. And ultimately, through the exile, God is going to bring blessing to them. The New Testament tells us that Christians, too, are still called to live a life of exile. 1 Peter says we are aliens and strangers on the earth. It's not comfortable. It wouldn't have been comfortable for these guys to be torn out of their homes and transplanted a thousand miles away in Babylon. It was not nice. It was not comfortable. And nor will living as a Christian be in this world. We will feel like strangers in a strange land for standing up for biblical truth, uh, for, for looking to put Jesus first in our lives, for letting him have a say in the big decisions about where we live, who we marry, what we, what we do with our lives. That sounds weird to a lot of people. And sometimes Jesus will call us to an uncomfortable path. He always does it, doesn't he? Tells Abraham to leave his home. Sends these guys to exile. Sometimes God is going to call us onto an uncomfortable path of exile. To live as an exile, to live as a stranger in this land. And that's why we need to keep those verses before our eyes that say, In exile, God has good plans for his people. He wants to do them good. Are you happy with a God who is sovereign? Who works in an unexpected way? A God you can't control. A God who might call you to something you didn't expect and don't particularly want. But a God who ultimately has your good at heart. A God whose plans for you are good. Will you embrace exile as God's good plan uh, for your life? Well, how can you do that? Because it is a hard calling. In the day-to-day, in the nitty-gritty, how can you embrace uh, exile? Well, chapter 29, if we just flick a few pages uh, over, chapter 29 helps us understand, and this is our second point, to embrace God's word as the sure ground for your life, the sure foundation for your life. That's how you're going to be able to embrace the hard road of exile. See, this letter to the exiles is is often misunderstood a little bit and and slightly misused. Uh, We love those verses, 4 to 9, about seeking the good of the city and and pray for it, and it'll prosper, and you prosper, and marry there, and have sons and daughters, increase, do not decrease. Uh, uh, And it's great, great stuff, but the point of it is verse 10. So, just look with me at verse 10. This is what the Lord says When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. Why is it they're to seek the good of the city? Because they're going to be there for a while. God has said, you're not going home for 70 years. So whilst you're there, you're going to be there for a long while. So live as though you're going to be there for a long while. That's the point. Trust my word as certain. The point about praying for the city and seeking the good of the city, well, that's the call of any Christian anywhere. We're all called to be good citizens, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, to submit to the ruling authorities, to love our neighbors, to serve them, to pray for those in authority. That's the general call for God's people wherever they are. Here the point is, why are they to settle down, increase in Babylon? Because they're going to be there for 70 years. It's going to be a while before God's going to bring them back, so you might as well... Settle down in Babylon. See, you need to believe that what God has said will happen will actually happen if you're going to live as an exile. Because um, look at verses um, 8 and 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, that they should settle down. Uh, He's told them they should settle down. And he also says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. After they got taken away, this group of people, there were these uh, prophets and diviners there who were saying, don't worry, it'll only be a couple of years at most. God will work a miracle and he'll snatch us back out of the king of Babylon's hands. And You'll only be there for a very short time. You can read in chapter 28 about the false prophet Hananiah, and he's saying the same thing back in Jerusalem. It's only going to be a couple of years, it'll be very short. God says, Don't listen to that. Listen to my word. It's quite similar not to listen to the the, the sort of false teachers who tell you to expect a, a glorious Christian life that will never have any difficulties or problems, it'll all go smoothly. You'll never encounter trouble or trial or hardship. Don't listen to those words, says the Lord. Those words will will stop you embracing life as exile. Trust my word. God's word to Christians is this is not our real home. Not our final home. So Don't live like your hopes are here in the end. This is not the end of the story. Exile is not the end of the story. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the promise for them that 70 years later God would bring them back. But actually, as as Christians reading this with our New Testament glasses on, We can even see the hints here that there's something much bigger in play. God's promise is not just to bring them back from Babylon, but look from all the nations where they've gone. The point is, though life following God on this earth feels like an exile, God has a glorious future planned. He's going to gather his children back to himself. There's going to be a close, beautiful relationship where we seek him with all our hearts and we'll be found And we will find him. We will have good futures. Fruitful, prosperous futures. All things will be restored. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the foretaste of that. God has given us solid truths to trust that he will do that. He will call his people home. That is the truth. That is the sure and certain promise that we have in God's words. And there are other voices. Verse 15 to 23, lists a whole load of other prophecies and people who are saying other things and saying, "The future's with the people in Judah," or, or the, "The future is an exile in Babylon." And God says, "Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They have no future, who are not trusting in and resting in my word. Who are we listening to when it comes to our future? We live in an age with so much media coverage. Everyone's got a prediction for how things are going to go and what we should all be doing in response. Whose words are governing your thinking about the future? when you make plans for yourself or your families is it god's word which is the foundation of those plans what's the most important meeting or conversation you've got to have next week and why is that the most important meeting or conversation you've got to have next week how do you judge what's important where you're going to put your time your money your effort your energies Is it God's word that's governing your thinking? You see, the point is, there are lots of voices out there. But only God's word will certainly come true. The exiles had to know that it was certain they would be there for 70 years because God had said it. So they had to drown out the other voices that were telling them, it'll only be a couple of years. Don't worry about it. And when it comes to you thinking about your futures, whose voice is it that is loudest, that comes first in your thinking? See, if Jesus Christ has died and risen again, and he has, that changes the way we're going to view everything in life. Like I say, it means our hope isn't here. It is elsewhere, our ultimate hope. And if I really know that the future God has promised is true, if I really know I have a home in heaven, well, I can live very differently here. I can embrace life as an exile. If I've got a home in heaven... I can give up my home here. So practically, it means I, I don't have to build that nice designer life in a nice part of the world. I could actually live in a less desirable place and go on a church plant, to a, a council estate or something like that, because I have a home in heaven. I can take a risk, because I know ultimately it's not a risk. My future's safe because God has promised it. We're looking at church planting around various places in Manchester Diocese. You probably know about that through the reach the city thing. Uh, And there are some good church plants that are flourishing and thriving, but there are whole areas around Greater Manchester, not fashionable areas, where there aren't many churches at all. Maybe God will put it on your heart to take that risk and go to uh, somewhere that's not an easy place to live, but where there's great gospel work to be done. Or let's take another example. If you know you have a perfect reputation in heaven, it says in Revelation that, that people are given a white stone, a pure stone with a name on it, their own new name no tarnishes in your reputation. You have a perfect reputation in heaven. God the Father is delighted in you if you are a Christian believer. If you know you have that perfect reputation in heaven, you can risk your reputation here. You can take that risky move of just standing firm on God's truth, even if someone else isn't going to like it. You can cross the pain line and and, open up to that friend about Jesus, even knowing that that they might not want to hear it and they might sort of reject you. How, How do you risk your reputation here? Only if you know your reputation is perfect in heaven and cannot be tarnished. You see how this, if you build your life on God's words, knowing that it is certain and sure, like he calls the exiles to do in chapter 29, listen to my word that is certain and sure. It can lead you to take enormous risks. One guy who knew that was um, this man. He's called C.T. Studd. He went to Eton and Cambridge, had loads of privileges, a high-flying society person in the... um, late 19th century, also a Christian believer, a uh, very gifted sportsman, played cricket for England, uh, and uh, was held in high regard. He had a glorious future in front of him in the UK, it seemed. But he gave it all up and went and became a missionary in China. And I'm sure a lot of people said, you're crazy, look at all the things you could be doing here. He wrote a poem. Some of you will know some of the most famous lines from it. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice I made for him could be too great. I knew that honor wouldn't last, and cricket wouldn't last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living. For the world to come. The exiles are called to do something hard here. They're called to live trusting that God's word they're going to be there for 70 years will certainly come true so settle down. Be there for the long haul. Seek the good of where you're living and don't listen to the other voices. We are called to a life of exile here knowing we have a new home in heaven as Christian believers. We're called to trust God that God will certainly bring about his promise of a new creation and therefore trust that the right thing to do is live for our home there and live as exiles here. It's not easy. The only way to do it is to know that it will certainly, certainly come true. This is why we need to gather as God's people on Sundays throughout the week. We need to remind one another of the precious truths and promises that are found in this word it strengthens our hearts to live lives as exiles to remind ourselves we have a glorious future and no one can snatch it away if we're in Jesus Christ let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that we your people have a glorious future the resurrection of Jesus shows that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. We see that even more clearly and gloriously than these exiles in Jeremiah's day would have done. Help us to live in light of that future, to remember that this is not our final home. And yet this is the place we are put for as long as you choose to put us here. And like the exiles, may we seek the peace and prosperity of wherever we are, May we live here and seek its goods. But may we do that in a way which always points us and others to the fact that we have a hope and a home far greater. Help us to embrace life as exiles here. And help us to keep resting in and going back to and trusting in the promises of your word, which are the sure foundation for our lives.